We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening. So, welcome back to the semi-normalcy of Hope Church. This morning, uh, we're still in the cafeteria. Some good news. They're making amazing, amazing progress next door. Um, Subflooring is all down. Paint is all done. Curtains are back up. Lighting is done. They just have to get the carpet under the seats and then the seats installed. If you didn't notice the giant, ugly tractor trailer sitting out here, that's full of seats from the high school. So we're close. Like the finish line is in sight and I can't tell you how excited I am. I can't tell you how excited I am to hear an electric guitar fire back up or a real drum set. I'm probably as excited as the band is. So uh, if you've been here the past two weeks, you got to meet some amazing friends of ours. Uh, Pastor Andy and Janelle uh, from Michigan, they reached out to us uh, a couple months back and they said, hey guys, look, we planted a church. We know what it's like. We know what that first year is especially like. We would love to bless you. We want to fly out and give you an opportunity to have some time off. And it was so amazing to have some time off. I can, I can tell you, from the day that we launched, um, you know, there's, there's an amount of stress every Sunday that goes with it. Just concern of, is this going to go right? Is that going to go right? You know, and, and to know people who have walked it out before us were here, and to know the amazing team of Hope Church partners that were here was so good. We we didn't have to worry about it. No text messages, no calls. People just had it covered, and it was amazing. And so I hope you guys enjoyed Pastor Andy and Janelle. Uh, we love them. They're, they're our people, right? We say that a lot in our lives, but if you met them, you know they're they our people. They're nerds. Uh, they were so excited to be able to go to Wallops Island, Virginia, to the NASA place, and it was just so awesome. So if you've heard me talk before, you might have heard this story of when we went to Universal Studios in Florida and my son, Kian, uh, struggled. He was trying to overcome the fear of getting on the big ride. And the big ride there was, was the Hulk roller coaster and you could hear the Hulk just roar and shoot it off. And so we were just at Busch Gardens this past week and uh, he's like, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to ride the big ride. I'm working up the courage. And so it's like the end of the day. We were we were going to be there from open to close, like, because we had to make the most of this one day. So, sun setting, uh, it had been raining, so there were zero lines. Like, it was the best thing ever. Like, if you're ever going to plan a trip to an amusement park, try to strategically do it to where there's going to be a shower when they open, so either people stay home or they go home. So, it's the end of the night, Ken's like, all right, it was the Griffin. I'm going to ride the Griffin. Let's go, Dad. Okay. So we literally walk up. And I'm telling you, when I say no lines, like we just walked up, the cart took off, and we're next. We're going to ride this, right? So here we see the next cart coming, and it pulls up, and I go, hmm, something's not right here. I work construction, so things that are symmetrical, like my brain sees them. If a sign's just a little bit off, I instantly notice it. And I go, that cart didn't pull up to where the other cart was parked. And this thing has a floor that hydraulically comes up and like so that you can step on it because your feet hang. 
no floors coming up. Hmm, this isn't good. And finally, like, we see the people talking, and they go, uh, everybody, we're experiencing some te technical difficulties. We're going to be a few minutes. And then we see the second cart come up, and it's stopped 60 feet back. And we're going, well, those people ain't getting off no time. So I'm trying to reason with Ken. I'm like, look, bud, you know, this is going to be a while. Sun's setting. They got to unload all these people, figure out how to do it. They're probably going to have to have a safety inspection and all these things before they can send it. No, Dad, I've worked up the courage. I'm going to do it. We're not leaving this. And it's at that moment, Emma's waiting like 50 feet from us. I get the text message. You guys are not getting on that ride. <laughs> Look at my phone. I go, Ken? Time to go, buddy. <laughs> so we pack up and we're heading out. And unfortunately, that was the last call for all roller coasters. So his, his, he overcame the fear because he was going to do it. But he was let down. So if you see him, say, next time, buddy, you'll get it. Yeah. So today we're starting a series, Life Lock. This series is going to be about understanding who we are in Jesus. Before we can do that, I think it's really important to lay the groundwork of who Jesus is. Yeah. We talk about this, you know, mythological person, right? I almost want to say creature, but like, it, it's just, it's almost like ethereal, like just, what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And I know for me, 20 years ago when I started down this journey, when I finally was like, okay, my wife's lost her mind. She doesn't do drugs or drink or anything else now. Why? I need to go check this out. That was my first question of like, that's great, preacher man. Like, this Jesus dude, like, floating in the sky, that's cool. I need some substance to this. I need to, like, be able to put some, like, real things to this. So I started down this journey of learning about who Jesus was. And I really set out with a case to either prove it or disprove it. I mean, that, that was the reality of it. That, that's just the way my mind works of like, okay, if I can prove that Jesus is who he says he was and he was real and all of those things, then I have to reevaluate everything. So fortunately for you guys, if you're starting this journey today, you all have the internet 20 years ago, I did not have the internet. It was the dawn of the internet. We were early adapters, thanks to a gentleman right there. Like in 94, we were on Prodigy. Y'all don't even have a clue what Prodigy was. But we were on it. We were paying by the hour and like, unfortunately, racking up some high bills. Sorry. Sorry. But I had to get out the books and like, go to the library and order books and wait for the books to come in the mail. There was no Amazon with two-day shipping. And, like, it was a whole process, guys. And so then I start breaking into it, and I'm like, okay, I'm connecting this dot and that dot. And, like, wow, this isn't covered here, so let me get a different book. Um, we kind of have an image of, like, at least in my mind how it looked, <laughs> right? I mean, that's how it felt anyway. I'm glad y'all got that meme. Can I just say, I'm also thankful that I'm in a church that I can use that meme. All right, because I know in some places that'd be taboo, but here we're good, right? We're family. So 
We're not going to be able to fit everything in in, in 35 minutes today, unfortunately, because there's a, there's a ton to unpack. There's so many aspects of this that we could go down, so many things that we could look at. So we're going to summarize this. But let me tell you, this is my jam of like things that get me excited, things that want to like nerd out. It's the historical evidence of the Bible. I love it. So if you guys want to talk to me afterwards, or like you want any resources or anything, I will hook you up, point you in the right direction. So we're gonna, it, it's condensed. If we go fast today, I apologize. I'm trying to cover a lot of ground. So we're going to start with the birth of Jesus. Did it happen? Was it provable? All of those good things. We're going to start in Luke 2. I got a lot of reading. Bear with me. I'm terrible about skipping over things. I try to read very fast. So if I skip over something, you'll still see it on the screen so you can read along. <clears throat> Luke 2. At the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, there came the time for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly. <laughs> this is why I love the NLT. Wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no longer lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. That's amazing. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that had happened, which the Lord had told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all had seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So, this, to me, is probably the most famous story in the Bible. Me growing up, really like maybe going to church like two, three times, I knew of this story. I couldn't have repeated it to you. I got details all messed up. But I knew about this story. Now I'm proud to say it's a tradition in our family passed down uh, to us where every Christmas morning we wake up and before any presents can be opened, stockings, anything, we read this story just to center our family on why we're doing what we're doing. And I can tell you, it's such a rich tradition. Our kids, yes, it might be motivated by presents, but they're like, Dad, read the Bible. I can tell you, the 364 other days of the year, my kids do not wake up saying, hey, Dad, read the Bible to us. <laughs> I celebrate those days. So we're going to start with the virgin birth. Now, unfortunately, I have no way to prove to you a virgin birth. If I did, I probably would not be here today. I would be retired somewhere sitting on a beach. 
because that's just science that would have had to have been, at that time, proven. But, when we're studying history, one of the first things that we have to do is we've got to dissect it. And I like to look to see, can we prove people? Can we prove places? And can we prove things? If we can like, get two out of three of those, that's pretty daggone good. And that's when you have to kind of start going, okay, there's validity to this. So let's start with Bethlehem. We know it existed. Right. You, you can, did you go? Yep. You, they've been there. <laughs> yes, I am too. That is, that is on my big wish list. So there's an area um, a little north of Bethlehem. And if I get names wrong, life hack, let me tell you something. When I'm preparing for messages, there's a word in the Bible I don't like know how to pronounce it properly. The Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, if you hit play, it pronounces it for you correctly. Unfortunately, a lot of these towns and names that I have today, they're not in the Bible. So if I get them wrong, you hear some great like doctor with all kinds of degrees after his name pronounce it differently. He's probably right. So north of Bethlehem is a town called Migdal Eater. Right? Okay, great. This area was the la- uh, area where the lambs were raised to be sacrificed in the temple. Like that's, that's all this area was for. And we know raising lambs back then, there had to be shepherds. Right. So theologians, historians believe that this is the area that the shepherds in the story were called from. There's a ton of documents about pointing to travel time and all these other things that leads us to believe that's where they came from. An interesting side note that I found, this was new to me. Um, Again, before Jesus, you had to sacrifice an animal to atone for your sins. These lambs were raised especially for that. It's interesting to me that God would choose the shepherds that were raising those lambs to announce the final sacrifices come. Go see it. So what about the wise men? Unfortunately, we don't have the names. There's handed down tradition, but it gets murky at best. So we're just going to stick with the fact that at the time, there was a King Herod. There's historical evidence. They found, you know, scribes on stones, all kinds of things that point that he was 100% real. It also points that he kept the council of wise men at a lot of time. So we have those two things that he existed. He kept the council of wise men. It only makes logical sense in the position that he held over the area, that he would do the actions that he took. So King Herod, he's threatened. He's a ruler. They've said, the wise men have told him, the real ruler has come. So he puts out an order. He thinks he's going to be smarter than God. He puts out an order to kill all the babies that have been born two years and younger. A lot of skeptics, they like to go, well, 
where's the record of all of these babies being murdered? We think, you know, it's, that's something that should be recorded. Bethlehem was a town of about 1,500 people at the time. The Bible says also the surrounding area. Well, you got to think that this had to be what they could walk in. So Bethlehem plus a half a mile. 2,000 people tops. It was only the boys that were ordered to be killed. So they're guesstimating somewhere between 12 and 15 kids were total what was killed. High infant mortality rate at the time. And the scribe Josephus, Joseph, Josephus, thank you, words are hard this morning, um, was removed from the area. He is what we base most of our history on. It comes from outside of the Bible. Recording 10, 12, 15 extra deaths probably would have not been like breaking news to him. So it's not something he would have really uh, recorded. So we know that the area existed. We know that the people, the other players in the game, if you would, they existed. We have records of census. We have records for everything. The, the struggle for skeptics is a virgin birth. At the end of the day, there has to be some faith in this. I, I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. The next thing that skeptics love to throw up are the miracles. Did he really perform miracles? Again, we don't have, you know, video evidence. Lazarus isn't still here with us to recount it. Um, historians, when they're examining documents to try to understand, number one, are the documents real? And then number two, what the documents are speaking of, was it truthful? They have six key points that they take and they put all text through. We're going to go through those real quick um, to try to take the miracles that the New Testament recorded and see how probable was it that they actually happened. So the number one thing that a historian does is does it show up in multiple different places in the text? It's easy for one person to make up a story, but when you start getting other people that are corroborating the story, it becomes, the probability of it being fake decreases each time a person is added, right? And there are multiple, multiple accounts of these miracles happening all throughout the New Testament from different authors. So that's point one. It's kind of good enough for me. It's kind of where I stopped, but we'll keep going through the other five. Would it cause embarrassment for the author? I read this and I chuckled. I'm like, that's, a historian's going to be like, would this embarrass? But this, this is legit what they use. So the early church would have had to transcribe what we have now as the New Testament because they're trying to grow the church. They're passing it out person to person to person. At that point in time, that those documents were being circulated, there were people still alive that could have refuted anything that was said. 
That's, that's a key difference in today and in back then. The people that witnessed the miracles were still alive and walking and talking. We have no recorded evidence anywhere of people saying, Jesus did not do what he said he did, and I was there to see it. Number three, does it fit the culture and environment of the times? Think about uh, how quickly things spread today. We use the word viral all the time. Um, Think about now if something comes on from the 80s or the 90s, like you see a commercial or whatever, you can instantly date it, right? You go, oh my gosh, look at that girl's bangs. That was definitely the 80s, right? (laughs) What? You didn't have bangs like, oh, yes, you did. (laughs) I had a mullet. Look, it's okay. They're cool now, but some people think they're cool, but yeah. No, can't do it. But they look at, they take what has been handed down and they go, okay, was this that period? Does it fit the writing, the style, the cultural examples given in the text? All the historians, they're like, there's no question. This was indeed written, and these things indeed happened at that time. <sighs> My slide's going to be a little different, but did it fit his swag? That's not your word. Did it fit his style? So what do I mean by that? Prior to Jesus, there were tons, not tons, but a lot of people who claimed to be some miraculous you know, Messiah, prophet, and, and they say, oh, we had these miracles. I've done this. I'm, I'm going to do that. The thing is, when Jesus came along, he broke the mold. What he was doing was 180 degrees different than anybody had done in the past. So historians go, okay, he had no point of reference for what he was doing. He didn't have like, oh, you know, Joe Mama did it back 60 years ago and it worked for him. So I'm going to take his style and I'm going to recreate it now to get my followers and do my thing. This was all new, all fresh. It was so polar opposite of what anybody had done prior. Historians go, it was original. Right? It was his own thing. Who were they written for? At the time, salvation was thought to be for the Jews. It wasn't a Gentile thing. Historians have looked and they have said it is evident by the verbiage used and the stylistic that it was written that it was specifically written for Gentiles. Why does that matter? If I'm going to be a false prophet and I'm going to try to amass followers, it is way easier to go get people who are looking for a savior, 
who are already ingrained in this lifestyle, this living, I'm looking, than to just go out and get people completely off the street that have zero interest in this. So what I'm saying is like, he wasn't shooting fish in a barrel. They were written for probably the hardest converts at the time. Number six, do the stories have fact-checkable details? If you're going to make up something, make up something that can't be proved. If you're going to you know, share a document with somebody and it's like you're going to make some outrageous claims, don't leave nothing in it that people can be like, that place doesn't even exist. Historians have looked. The places, they existed. The timing, everything lines up. It just ultimately, at the end of the day, boils down to the supernatural aspects. Jesus' death. Now, here's some names. Joseph, Joseph. Why am I struggling with that today? Thank you, Joseph. Jo- yeah, whatever. That guy. That guy. Tacitus, Lucian, Mara, Bar, Serapin, and even the authoritative Jewish Talmud. Those are all really smart people. Those five ancient historians all agree that Jesus was crucified. For record, those five people were not Christians. These are outside of the realm of church people going, yeah, that happened. These are historians that said, no, it it legitimately happened. Side note, I think it's important that we have to establish in this day and time, now more than ever, that Jesus legitimately walked. We have to make sure that we're always keeping it in reality. Even if you don't believe supernatural, we have to keep it at the forefront that he existed, he walked, and he was crucified. Because there's a movement that's come up in the past 10 years where people are just trying to say, he never existed. Because if you can get people to think, oh, you know what? That's a fairy tale. It's a legend. It's that much harder to believe. 20 years ago, that did not exist. There, there was not this, oh, he's, 20 years ago, it was, oh, he's a good teacher. He was a wise man, right? That's what people like who didn't believe that he was the son of God. It was, oh, yeah, he was, he was just really nice guy. He's a good, wise teacher. Now it's like, no, nah, he never existed. Any historian worth his weight that knows anything will tell you 100% he existed. Where the difference comes in is that final 10% on the supernatural. So we know that he was crucified. All right, so maybe Jesus was David Blaine, you know, 2,000 years ago. He was crucified, but he didn't die. Even the American Journal of Medicine studied it. And they said even before the wound in his side, he was dead. Thousand percent. There's there's no other way about it. I'm going to save y'all the gory details because it is, it, it, it's pretty gnarly, like what he went through. Um, 
just one little piece of it. They have record and they found through excavation, people who were crucified, that the nails are still through their bones. And they would leave them in the bones because they couldn't get them out. Like once they were through the bone, there was no pulling that nail back out to reuse it. Back in those days, nails were not like you go to Lowe's and buy a box of 50. So they were really important. That's how like gruesome it was. The carpenters were like, we can't get them. Everybody agrees he was crucified. Everybody agrees that he died. Another little side note. I love this part. I just had to throw this in because this is when my history nerd comes out. Matthew 27. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli. Yeah. What she said. Getting water. Thank you. Um, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Thank you. Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook, rocks split apart. One interesting thing I found going through it this time is uh, there was a Greek uh, historian, author, who recorded things. Um, it's just it's what people did back then. His name was uh, Phlegon. And he recorded this on the fourth month of the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad. A great darkness fell over Asia Minor to where you could see the stars in the sky and the earth shook. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds an awful lot right. like what we just read. Historians took his calendaring system and took the fourth month of the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad and converted it to our calendar system. It works out exactly to April of 33 AD, which is the exact time that we know Christ was crucified when he tore the veil. Another interesting note, uh, about 10 years ago, and this is what I love, is scientific archaeology did not exist prior to 1870. Prior to that, it was basically grave robbers. In 1870 is when they brought science into it and said, okay, let's understand. Why is this? What is this? How did it get here? Where did it come from? Whose was it? So, you know, we're talking 140 years of actually being able to dig, find history, take it, and analyze it, and make sense of it. Very small window compared to how long ago all of this happened. Just 10 years ago, um, they were doing some excavation work. They had some soil scientists, um, geoscientists to be specific, there. And they took core samples uh, from the earth, and they were able to date an earthquake in the exact area 
to within one to two years of that exact, exact time period happening. We have a guy who recorded a great darkness. That's not normal. Okay? So I don't, I don't know about you, but if a great darkness fell right now to where I could see the stars in the sky, to me that's supernatural. That's kind of one of those things of like outside people recording it. Right. Scientific evidence of an earthquake happening. Right. I'm like, okay, dots are connecting here. So the resurrection, this is where it gets sticky. This is where everybody's like, oh, prove it. Prove it didn't. But <laughs> uh, there are so many recorded reports of first-hand encounters with Jesus. That he walked, he talked, he ate dinner. He did life with these people. Think about, if we have anybody super young in here, this is going to be harder. For us older people, think about how long it takes or it took for stories to spread. Um, the, the Seaford legend of uh, Maggie's Bridge. Oh, right. Yeah. right? You know, that didn't happen overnight. It was because you know, my brother told me and then this one told me. And it took many, many, many years for it to be passed down and to become the story that it is today. Back then, 2,000 years ago, historians believe that it took two living generations for a legend to be created. How does that tie back into this? So, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, they're estimating 60 to 80 years it would have taken for this story to start to circulate. Because that's how long it took, typically, for a legend to travel. Historians have gone back, the documents that existed, months. They legitimately think it was two months for the story to be well circulated in the area that this guy had actually walked and talked and eaten with people. Now, I don't know about you, two months is drastically different than 60 to 80 years. So why, again, is that important? Again, this was in, if we're saying two months, there were people that could have easily been like, man, look, I, I was down the street from the tomb. I've been here all night. Nobody walked past here. There were countless people, countless people who could have easily stood up and said, no, that didn't happen. I've, I've been in town the whole time. There's no recorded evidence anywhere of anyone from that time period refuting it. It's not until today, you know, modern times, where people are like, no, that didn't happen. Well, you got no way to prove it, this, that, and the other. When I have a record of people reporting it, and I have no record of people discrediting it, I kind of got to lean with what was reported. 
the empty tomb. There is historical written records that the tomb was empty. So the question is, how did it get empty? Most skeptics, they all land on one thing. The disciples stole the body. If you believe the accounts of what the disciples were going through for them to, number one, have the motivation to go steal it. Number two, um, for them to have the means to get past a guarded tomb with a giant rock covering it up with no one else seeing this. Again, no records of this being disputed at any point in time. There's nine ancient sources, both inside and outside of the Bible, that all confirm the disciples' conviction that Jesus rose and did life with them, inside and out. They believed it so much that they gave their life. Now, skeptics love this one. Skeptics will say, oh, well, you know, there's, there's uh, suicide bombers, you know, and Islam, and, you know, they're happy to die for what they believed in. The key difference between them and the disciples, the disciples walked this out with Jesus. They were there to see if the miracles happened or not. So why would, if, if, Everything was a lie and Jesus didn't do these things. Why would they go? I'm, look, man, I'm telling you right now. I love y'all. I ain't going to go get boiled alive. If I haven't seen some like legit, you raised somebody from the dead. It's just, it ain't going to happen. There had to have been something for all of them to have seen, witnessed, and experienced for them to go through what they had to go through. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you find a group of people that would go through that for somebody who didn't do those things, doesn't exist. little side note, uh, if you all are familiar with um, David Koresh, Waco, Texas, Branch Davidians, today, today, there's two practicing Branch Davidians left. And they're only doing it because the government leaves them alone. They have they've both said, if we had to go through any type of thing of what we've been through before, there is no way. That small group, their people are like, nah, mm -mm, not going through it. The disciples, they were like, yeah, we believe it. We saw it. We witnessed it. We experienced it. Give me whatever you got. I'm willing to take it. So, I came to this place 20 years ago. Where I looked at all this evidence, and there's, there's so much more. So much more that would be here three or four hours. Um, I came to this place where I was like, I looked at it all, and I go, okay. I 100% believe with all my heart Jesus was alive. He was walked the earth. He was crucified. I believe all that. I looked at the supernatural aspect. I was like, okay. I, you know, the evidence mounts up. There's far more evidence that it did happen 
then it didn't happen. So do I accept that? Yeah, I got okay, you know. So that's where I got to. Now, I don't know where you are today. Um, if you believe it, if you accept it, it's cool. I just want to share something with you that if you believe it and you accept it, there's a third part to it. John 1.12 But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. That scripture is a bit of an equation. It's the first part, believe. The second part is accept. I believed it. I said, yeah, 100%. Evidence is there. I accepted it. Okay, yeah. Jesus did these supernatural things. I believe that too. Third part of that equation was to accept the gift. What is the gift? It's freedom and it's acceptance and it's deliverance from our sins. So I don't know where y'all are at today. Um, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're like, yeah, that all makes sense. I believe I want to accept and you've never accepted Jesus for the first time. And maybe you have in the past and, and you've kind of steered away from it. I want to give you a chance to come back to that too. So if you guys would, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Um, we're going to have some QR codes up on the screen. If you need to snap them, that's cool. Feel free to look up and snap it. Or um, There's a text code as well. Dear Jesus, Father, I just pray that... Um, I pray we can look at all of this information that's here, that's discussed today, and everything that's online. Um, that we can look at it with an open mind. We can be objective with it. We don't come into it with a slant of... Somebody told me this. I believe that. Father, I pray especially if there's somebody here today that hasn't accepted you into their life. That they would just be willing to make that step today. And if that's you, you can text that's me to 94000. You can snap the QR code. We just want to connect with you guys this week. Um, there's also a spot on the note section that you can fill out. Uh, and Father, if, if there's anybody here today who had started a relationship with you at some point in time and they um, just had to take a moment to go do their own thing, that you would just welcome them back. Welcome them back with the arms like you did the very first time. And if that's you, you can text uh, I'm back, all one word, to 94,000. Father, we're just so thankful. I know for me personally, to be able to find the evidence and connect all of the dots, I'm thankful that we have the records. I'm thankful that you went through what you went through for us. I'm thank you, thankful that you gathered a group of disciples that could record things and pass it along to us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's Hope. D-E-L 
M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.